Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we take a look at Psalm 95, which doesn't have any introductory material to it. It just jumps right into the text. Here it is. O come, let us sing to Yahweh. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For Yahweh is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. These words may sound very familiar to you, and I encourage you, If they do, to ask your children that too. Have you heard these words somewhere before? We actually sing them. We chant them together in the church, both in the service of matins and morning prayer. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. The deep places of the earth are in his hand. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, for he made it and his hand form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. That's from Matins. It has a different melody to it in morning prayer, but if you're familiar with either of those services, you'll pick up on it. If you see it in the service, it's coming right really right at the beginning, after those opening verses, it's called the venite, V-E-N-I-T-E, which is the Latin word for come. So this is a song calling God's people to worship, and thus why we see it put into the, the liturgy, why we use it to worship our Lord. Come, let us sing to Yahweh. That's what we're called to do in 
Old Testament, New Testament alike. Colossians 3, 16 is a, a good spot for that if you would like. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Rock of our salvation. That's a good phrase. Rock. This is like the house built on the rock that Jesus describes versus the house built on the sand. That house built on the rock stands when the storm comes and pummels against it because its foundation is firm. Whereas the one built on the sand, that sand shifts, it moves, and the house is not firm, it falls. God is our rock. His plan of salvation, it's built on himself, on the rock. It cannot be moved. It cannot be undone. It is not shaky or wobbly. The foundation is firm, and he is trustworthy for you, for me, for all people. So we come into his presence with thanksgiving. Another, wow, that we even can come into his presence. Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, God said to Moses, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. God is holy, and we are not. We cannot come into his presence. This is why, as the Lord put his tabernacle, and then eventually the temple, his throne in the midst of his people, where he would dwell with them and speak to them, there was a curtain that separated his holiness from the people. And only the high priest, and only once a year, would go through that curtain to come before the Lord and make sacrifice of atonement. It was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, before the Lord. This all changes because of the crucifixion. The temple curtain torn in two from top to bottom, Matthew chapter 27. And so we have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. We can now come into the presence of God and live because our sins have truly been taken away from us. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. This is good news. This is why even Job in the Old Testament could so richly declare it. In the words of Job chapter 19, starting at verse 23, words that you probably know very well. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Or maybe First John chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So a couple of connection points to this. I mean, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. We can. That's a tremendous thing, that we can come into the presence of the holy and living God. And he's promised that we will. Paradise. And we'll be in his presence giving thanks continuously. Joyful noise shows up there again in verse 2, just as it did in verse 1 with songs of praise. So we sing. 
And yes, you may not think your singing sounds good. That's okay. God gave you your voice. It's a gift, and it's his, and he wants to hear it. Just like uh, the analogy I love to use is the child who draws the artwork, gives it to mom or dad, they hang it on the fridge. It's not good artwork. All right, no artistic collector is going to have any interest in it. If you handed it to, the, to your neighbor, they'd probably just throw it away. But you value it because it came from your child and they made it for you in love. Thus for the Lord as well. You are his child. And you lift up your voice to the Lord with songs of praise because you love him and he cherishes this. This is good. Yahweh is a great God, a great king above all gods. True. He's the only God. And he rules over all. When you stop and think about it, I guess verse 3, it would be pretty easy to be king over all the false gods. They don't move, they don't talk, they don't do anything. On the flip side, they don't do anything. So a king giving command to his servants and they don't do anything. But God could. He could command them as he can command stone and stone will do what he wants it to do. So I don't know, fascinated to ponder that verse a little bit more in depth. He is a great God, great king above all gods. He's the only one. The only one. And he is king over heaven and earth. And that's what the next couple of verses get into. In his hands are the depths of the earth. I mean, can we even grasp the depth of that phrase? Think of the depths of the earth, the deepest parts, the remotest parts that you and I have not seen with our eyes. Whether it's the bottom of the ocean or the core of the planet. And he holds them. He created them. He continues to sustain them, even now. That's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sea is his, for he made it. The sea has a connotation in Scripture of, of evil and death. But the Lord is in control even of this treacherous thing that terrifies and destroys ships and so forth. And he made the dry land also. From the The deepest deep to the highest height, the sea and the land, see the contrast there, all of it. He is king over all of it. It is his, and because it is his and he has done such wondrous things, we should praise him. That's the point in context. So let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. I mean, those three phrases could be taken synonymously, really. An emphatic point. We kneel before God. We kneel before our king, and he is our maker, knitting us together in our mother's womb, knowing us before he knew our days, our number of days before he'd even made us. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Common image throughout scripture, including in the Psalms, this idea that God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. He is the good shepherd, John chapter 10. We have Psalm 23 as a couple of the more prominent spots that we would think of. He cares for us. We are his. He knows us by name. This is where the venite would end in our worship and we would conclude it with the glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever. Amen. Line. So we don't get the response to Psalm 95 that the Lord gives. 
Right? So there's the call to worship. Today, if you hear his voice, so hearing his voice, hearing his word proclaimed to you, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. You'll find both of those in Exodus chapter 17, where the people of God grumble against the Lord and they put him to the test. Why did you bring us out here into the wilderness? Why did you bring us out of the land of Egypt to die by thirst? They're angry. They complain. And they complain again and again and again against the Lord in those wilderness wanderings. The word Meribah means quarreling in Hebrew. Massa means testing in Hebrew. And they're specifically named that, those two locations, because Israel quarreled against God and put him to the test. They didn't trust him to provide for them. Even though, verse 9, they had seen my work. It's a reference to the plagues. I mean, think of the foolishness of it, contextually speaking. To have seen God do the stuff he did, turning the water of the Nile into blood. And we're not talking like red algae, as some would like to claim. Don't explain the miracle away. He turned the water into blood so that nobody could drink it. The fish died, stuff rotted. It was awful. And they saw that. They saw the gnats and the flies and the frogs. They saw the boils and the hail and the darkness. Well, they didn't see the darkness. They felt the darkness. The darkness was so strong you couldn't see anything. And they heard the wailing at the death of the firstborn in every house. But because of the blood on the doorposts of their homes, the, the destruction had passed over them. They saw all of this. They saw Pharaoh's entire army, the greatest superpower in the world at the time. They saw it drowned in the Red Sea as God had parted the sea for them to cross on dry ground. How ludicrous is that idea to start with? Dry ground. A parted sea. Their feet didn't get stuck in the mud at the bottom of the riverbed, the seabed, whatever. They were able to keep going because God did it for them. He rescued them from Pharaoh's army. And here, even now with them in Exodus 17, would have been a pillar of fire and cloud that's just hanging around, leading their way like a beacon through the night. But oh, oh, he's not providing for us. In context, how foolish does it sound? Now, we should not get so prideful ourselves. That's the warning, really, of this psalm. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. As the Lord calls to you, as the Lord speaks to you of his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, as he speaks to you his promises of forgiveness, life, and salvation, do not harden your heart. Don't say, I don't need that. Don't refuse repentance. Don't think you can take matters into your own hand. Don't think that you can just wander away for, for your life and oh, it'll be okay. There'll be time at the end where I can check back in. These things happen to this day all the time. As Christians turn their backs on the promises of Jesus Christ and wander off. And really that's the final family question that I, I do invite you to talk about with your kids today. And it comes as we see God's response to that. They shall not enter my rest. Will everyone get to be in paradise? 
And the answer to that question is simply no. I know it's not happy. It's not, it's not necessarily something we would even consider joyous. But it is truth. The devil is playing a wicked game. He's playing a long game, and he's trying to steal away from the Lord anything that the Lord would call good. He's trying to destroy anything that God has made. And unfortunately, many people follow the devil. They may not claim it by name. They may not say, yes, I worship Satan. Some do. Satanists, they're actually out there. But if they're not worshiping Christ, they have bought the devil's lie. And they bow at his feet. And that's not a good place to be. There is darkness in this world. Without a doubt, it's all around us. But the Lord is good. He is merciful. He forgives his people. Now this line from verse 11, the ending, Therefore I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is going to be picked up, really it's coming out of Numbers chapter 14. God doesn't say this there word for word, but Numbers 14 verse 23, 28, and 30 all speak of this. It's God's promise that the that generation would not enter the promised land. Only Caleb and Joshua from that group would get to go because they were faithful in spying out the land and they did not turn their back on God. Hebrews, in chapter 3, verse 11, again in chapter 4, verses 3 and 5, all three of those spots are going to cite this verse. Really, even uh, verse 7, well, 7b and 8a gets cited there as well. Uh, everything in between also. So, Hebrews 3 and 4 really works with Psalm 95, this idea of entering God's rest. Verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 4, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And here's going to be words that are familiar to most. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's not a good spot to end. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that mercy is there. That forgiveness is there in Christ for you. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Amen. Praise, praise.